I always want my kids to eat healthy, real foods, but as a busy working mom with two kids, I don't have a lot of time to shuttle from store to store. That's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they quickly ship straight to your door. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. At Thrive Market, you can get organic and essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products, and clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. I love stocking up on Larabar, sunflower seed butter, and seaweed snacks, plus non-toxic cleaning and beauty products. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. If you want to get more real whole foods in your family's diet without spending a lot of time in the kitchen, having simple, easy kitchen appliances is the way to go. For me, the one appliance I can't do without is the Vitamix. When I received it as a Christmas present a few years ago, I admit I was skeptical because I already had a blender, but the first time I used it, I was hooked. Unlike other blenders, the Vitamix blends everything up into a super smooth consistency, much like a juicer would, except you get all the nutritious fiber that regular juicers leave behind. And what I love most about the Vitamix is that it isn't just for smoothies. Every Vitamix has an entire range of textures to choose from, so you can use it to make dips and spreads, nut and seed butters, hummus and guacamole, muffins, pizza dough, plant-based milk, and frozen treats. Vitamix has been around for 70 years, and all of their blenders are powerful, durable, and built to last and come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com slash shop and click on Vitamix. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelant. As parents, we often focus on what our kids are eating and what they're not. But raising healthy kids is all about what we say, too. We don't need to remind them that the last time they tried it, they didn't like it. That's Jen Trepik, an optimal health coach who has been described as a force of nature in the wellness space, a business consultant and host of the popular podcast Salad with a Side of Fries. We'll talk about labeling foods healthy and unhealthy and everything in between how to talk to kids about food preferences and special diets, and how to help kids through emotional eating and weight issues in positive, healthy ways. Jen has so many quick and simple tips, and I know you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did. So Jen, welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. 
Thank you for having me. I love chatting with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you and I met in a podcast group and then you had me on your podcast to talk about healthy eating as a family f- affair. And I'm so happy to finally have you on the show. I think you have so, so much great insight um, and your story is amazing. And I know that there are some similarities between our health journeys, but I'd love for you to talk about your journey to health and wellness and how you became a health coach. Sure. So. Um, (laughs) so similar to you, right? Like I grew up a dancer and it's funny. I remember being a kid and going for my annual physical for camp and they would always be like, are you an athlete? What sports do you play? And I'm like, I don't, I dance. I'm not an athlete. (laughs) And then I remember one doctor said, but do you sweat? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, then you're an athlete. (laughs) And I was like, okay, whatever. But so growing up a dancer, I think, you know, pros and cons, right? Like, I think we grew up very aware of our bodies, not just the size of our bodies, but just aware of where we are in space and what we're feeling and noticing those kinds of things. And then the other side of the dance situation was I grew up in a house where it was really a joke. I was like the skinny one on a family of dieters. You know, yeah. in high school, there were times where I would come home after school or even middle school and eat like a Nutrisystem snack because that's what was in the closet, you know, in the pantry. Um, you know, our family dinners, we didn't really have separate food for us versus my dad. So anything we were eating was whatever diet my dad was on you know, or whatever plan that was following. So I realized later in life, I was really just on a diet my whole life without realizing it. Then, you know, in college, but I will say as a kid, like I was a good eater. Like I ate tons of vegetables. I ate, you know, quality food. Although we were also the house that had all the things that nobody else's parents would buy them. Uh And then in college, you know, really between high school and college, I think is when I first started to gain weight. Like I stopped dancing, my food changed, all of those kinds of things. And college was when I started the yo-yo saga. (laughs) I hate the word journey. I feel like it doesn't do it justice. Like it was a (laughs) saga. And, you know, I tried every diet under the sun because when I started to gain weight, I was like, I know what to do. I watched my family do this my whole life. Right. So I did every diet under the sun, gained and lost over and over. Like there isn't a diet out there that I haven't done. My family hasn't done, or we don't know somebody who's done it. And in that process, I remember learning about the program that I now teach. And I was like, no, 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 that's okay. I've got my thing. You know, my thing was like this crazy roller coaster. Yeah. (laughs) But I didn't need whatever they had, you know? Uh Uh-huh. And it was interesting because becoming a health coach, like worlds collided. So on the one hand, I had my own weight management challenges. And then on the other hand, I was looking for something to do outside of my full-time job, either to make extra money to invest it or to create a business where I could work for myself and not have to work for somebody else for the rest of my life, because that was the ultimate goal. It was just not work for someone else. Yeah. It's a great goal, <laughs> right? I love not working for someone else. <laughs> right, exactly. 
So when I finally got over myself and learned about this program, I was like, oh my God, this is the thing. This is what I'm going to do. And really the way that happened was I saw people who were following this at, you know, what I now teach, which is really the nutrition education we're all supposed to know and no one ever taught us. But this woman was telling her story of losing like 150 pounds. And anything she said after that, by the way, I couldn't tell you. I don't know her name. I don't know where she's from. I don't know anything about her. Like, if you are her, thank you. You know, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I just remember her saying this. And then I was like in my own head having a conversation with myself of like, I couldn't see where 10 pounds could have been on this woman's body. Yeah. And that did not compute with her saying to me, you know, I've lost 150 pounds. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? You yeah. know? Yeah. And I was like, Jennifer, right? This wasn't even Jen. This was like a full name <laughs> moment, right? I was like, Jennifer, get over yourself. Like they know something that you don't know. Right. And I worked with a coach. I followed the program. It completely changed my life. Like the only thing that's allowed me to say I've kicked my food issues. That's awesome. And what's the name of the program? So yeah, the, so it's called TLS, which stands for Transitions Lifestyle System. And it's based on a book from the 90s by Dr. Sherry Lieberman called Dare to Lose. And really, Dr. Sherry was like the first of what we now know to be functional medicine and functional nutrition mm -hmm. and sort of understanding the interplay between nutrition and our overall health. And like I said, it was here's what we were all supposed to know and no one ever taught us. And I was dumbfounded. Like, why isn't this what we were taught? And I started to dig in and I was super passionate about it. And I like couldn't tell enough people about everything I was learning. And I became an insatiable student. Like I read every book I could get my hands on and dug into it all and learned more about um, not just nutrition and how the body works in different foods, but also you know, the psychology side of it. Like I've been having these conversations my entire life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so why is it that certain things resonate and certain things don't? And how do we get out of our own way? So long story long, <laughs> right? Um, I started working. So my experience started like 2007, I want to say. I started working with clients late 2007. And built my wellness business really on the side until July of 2019. I left my full-time job, launched my podcast, Salad with a Side of Fries. And now here we are two years later, plus, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's no going back. <laughs> That's awesome. So important, right? When you're talking about why aren't we taught these things? And I think that that is definitely one of the inspirations for why I launched my site and the podcast is that. I, I continually feel that the way that the U.S. deals with topics of obesity and chronic disease is, what do we do now when we're adults? How do we fix it now? And if we just fixed it when we were kids, right. we wouldn't be facing these issues now. And, and we really have to, um, it's got to be radical transformation, you know, in how we, in how we teach our kids. I think it's interesting too, sorry, like, you know, when we were kids, our parents didn't have any other information. 
Because obesity wasn't the epidemic that it is now. Like what we're experiencing now is the result of everything that happened when we were kids. And so now we have the chance to do it differently for our kids. Like that's where I think the difference is in this radical transformation that like where we are now is the inevitable outcome of how we were operating 30, 40 years ago. But we didn't know that this is where it was going to lead. Yeah, absolutely. So important. So what are some challenges that you see parents have when they talk to their kids about food and meals? So you generally work with adults. Is that right? I do. And I, you know, I do have a kids and family program that I work with. um, But admittedly, a vast majority of my uh, practice is adults. Okay. But even still with their kids, you know, like I see it all the time where we'll get on the, you know, for our session and they're like, so my kids did this and this is where it's, you know, showing up and here's how I handled it or whatever. And I think it's hard because we have concerns, right? We can see the writing on the wall (laughs) and it's hard to know, well, do we say something? Do we not say something? And the other side of it is, I think, Most often, especially when kids, well, even as young as like five or six, I think we don't give them enough credit. And by that, I mean, they're already watching and paying attention. It's not even about what you say. It's what we're doing. So they notice if you're eating something different than the rest of the family. You know, they notice if you're saying, oh, I can't have that. I'm trying to lose weight. And so I think oftentimes the challenges are actually less about, well, I guess it's twofold. You know, it certainly is what our kids are eating or not eating, but also more than anything, it's about recognizing it's not just about what they eat or don't eat. So when we do talk about foods, though, should we avoid labeling foods good, bad, healthy, unhealthy? But we all fall into it, right? We all say these things. Yeah, we fall into it because we are looking for ways to label foods ourselves, you know? And I think the idea that we have to label foods is also sort of a challenge, right? So we do want to avoid the good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, black and white approach to food. So when we talk about it with kids, we talk about it as energizers and energy zappers, Right. So the energizer foods are clean, lean protein, our veggies and fruits and some whole grains and those kinds of things. And the energy zappers are those things where we feel great for a few minutes and then we're exhausted or we can't concentrate after. And so those, right, the candy, the fruit snacks, the you know, maybe even the pretzels, right? Things that we know we want to eat more on occasion. Right. And so maybe there are everyday foods and there are occasional foods. Yeah. I find my kids and I, I really, I guess I sound ignorant saying, I don't know where they pick this up from, but um, (laughs) (laughs) they definitely will 
ask me, you know, if we have a new food or, or just in general, you know, mommy, is this healthy? Is this a bad food? And, and I really don't think I label foods, but, Mm -hmm. um, perhaps there's a lot of nutrition talk in my home, but I, yeah, I try to focus on like, how does it make you feel? And what are the nutritional qualities of it? You know, like you have to have protein with your snack because you'll have more balanced blood sugar and it'll just, you'll just feel better. You won't be hungry in an hour versus if you're going to eat goldfish, that's okay. But you know, it's not going to fill up your belly. Um, but I get, yeah. I always get taken aback by that when they talk about that. Cause I like, you know, I bow my head in shame because I feel yeah. like I'm talking too but much they're, about but it. Recognizing, <laughs> right? Like we're not their only influence. And admittedly, yeah. I am not a parent. I have a nephew I'm obsessed with and all my friends have kids, but I do not have a kid. So like, Full disclosure, you know, (laughs) but I think they hear it from more places than just at home. So maybe a teacher says something or a classmate or they were at a friend's house and a friend's parent said something. And so, you know, it can just be us being like, well, we don't really think about foods as like good or bad. You know, they're all great for us. There are some that we eat all the time and some that we have on occasion. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I think I love what you said about, um, you know, cool, we can do the goldfish. What are we going to have with it so that we're not hungry again in 20 minutes? And and phrasing it in that way, not making them wrong for the choice of what they want. Right. And then I think sometimes that can also get into, too, well, are we really hungry or are we just hungry because it's ice cream? Right. Yeah. I think too, having kids, especially younger kids in school, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we eat quote unquote healthy most of the time and there are treats in our home, but still my kids push back and say they don't get enough treats and there's not enough junk food. And I realized that that is really the norm where Mm -hmm. every day they see kids at lunch and at snack time eating processed foods. And so it's just so unbalanced, right? It's like they still, my kids definitely have junk, but it's not at every meal and every snack and every day. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting too. Like I grew up in that house that had all those things. And so there's something to be said for if you want it, it's there. And sometimes the bigger deal we make about something, the bigger deal it becomes. You know, the other side of that is helping our kids realize, like one of the things I always teach everybody is fridge first. Uh-huh. So when we're looking for food, we fridge, sorry, food is in the refrigerator, right? So when we're hungry, we're always going to go to the fridge first. Yeah, I love that. And the stuff in the pantry, we can eat but it's not really food. Right. (laughs) Right. And what about portions? I know you talk about that too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So with kids, we like to use our hands. Okay. So I'm going to try to talk us through this. So if you put your hands palm up, you know, and all of your fingers sort of side by side, palm up, and then put your pinkies and the sides of your palms together, right? So you have like two handfuls. Those are our veggies. One handful, right? One whole hand is our protein. And then you take that one hand and make a fist. That's your whole grain. Okay. And so that's also appropriate. No matter how old they are, the size of their hands makes it appropriate. So two hands is our veggies. 
Take one hand away, that's our protein. Turn that one hand into a fist, that's our whole grain. Excellent. So is it okay to talk about the benefits of certain foods? So I know, you know, we always hear, I guess maybe it's a recommendation or it's something we grew up with, but, you know, carrots are good for your eyes or the dairy will give you strong bones, right? I know, totally controversial, right? right? But um, I've read some studies that show that that could actually be detrimental, calling out the benefits of food. So what do you think about that? It's so interesting. I mean, everything we say has, you know, could potentially be detrimental. So part of me always says with everything, like, don't lose your common sense, right? You know your kid. If your kid is going to respond to understanding that certain vitamins are really helpful for certain parts of the body, then you know that. You know what I mean? If your kid is the one who's going to say, well, my eyes are fine. I don't need carrots. Cool. (laughs) Right? Right. I feel like some of this stuff comes down to kind of understanding the personality types. I do like to think about foods in terms of similar to what you said before and what we were talking about is how is this going to make me feel after? How do I want to feel after? Right. Yeah. Right. Like we're even saying, sorry, like we're even saying to them like, cool. So after this, we have, you know, a sport and then we have to drive an hour and then, you know, mommy has to run some errands. So the next time we have a chance to eat is going to be, you know, whatever time I want to make sure we're filling ourselves up so that we have energy that whole time. Yeah, that's great. So definitely approach it from a food is fuel standpoint. Yeah. And what about some words do you think that perhaps parents overuse and really have a negative connotation that we just shouldn't be saying to our kids? I think the good, bad, healthy, unhealthy diet, you know, those can be triggering words where we're teaching them without teaching them. It goes back to that modeling. and you know, well, mommy, why are you only eating, you know, the salad? Well, I really like salad. This makes me feel good, right? So talking about foods and our choices because of how we feel and how we want to feel in the same way that we want them to think about the food and avoiding conversation of diets or even picking apart our own pictures. You know, I remember there was a story where this woman was talking about how she has made it a rule to love every photo that she takes with her kids so that if they look at it or she looks at it with them, all she says is, what a great picture. Oh, that's wonderful. Because again, it's like, well, what are we teaching them, right? Right. We, We question what we look like. We don't, you know, asking, you know, do we look okay in this outfit? Like, yes, we all do these things, right? Right. But recognizing sometimes what that's creating and what that's teaching, and if we can sort of just set some boundaries for ourselves in terms of when we have those conversations or where we have those conversations, um, because I think it's important that we don't create an unnecessary awareness in our kids. Right. And like you said, they're they're getting it from all sides. They're They're infiltrated by social media and... YouTube and school and friends, right? And it's right. just, it's there anyway. So if we can just model a healthier way, that that would be great. Um, so we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about repeated exposures, food exposures, and why that's so important. 
If you want mealtimes to be easier and less stressful, getting your kids in the kitchen to cook is one of the best things you can do. I know it's really encouraged my kids to eat their vegetables and try new foods, and it's given them a ton of confidence in the kitchen. But if you don't know how to cook or you don't like to cook, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. This course was created by a mom of four and former elementary school teacher, and it's designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. With Kids Cook Real Food, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like Tex-Mex white bean dip and homemade pizza. The course is designed for all kids ages two to teen and has three different skill levels. Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, make a salad, and safely use knives, the oven, and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that my kids made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you're trying to cut down on processed foods and get your kids to eat more real whole foods and become healthy, adventurous eaters, then the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. You can sign up for the course by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. So in our last segment, we were talking about the words we use when we talk about food to our kids and modeling a healthy body image. And so, you know, repeated exposures food exposures are important and we want our kids to explore their food and really enjoy their meals. And so how can we do this in the home and how do we ask our kids about food and meals at the table? Yeah. So starting with sort of the idea of um, exposure, right? I wish I could find this study, but I was in a training probably 15 years ago (laughs) that was talking about how many times we have to taste something in our lifetime before we know if we really like it or not. And it was something like 136 times. Wow. Which is insane. Part of that is our taste buds change over time. And part of it is recognizing like every time we taste something, if we taste it different ways. So even just taking broccoli, for example, you could have it steamed, you could have it roasted, you could have it grilled, you could have it raw, right? There's four ways. Then you could put marinara sauce, you could put cheese, you could put ranch dressing, you could put nutritional yeast, you could put, right? Like every different way we try it is multiple, you know, tastes, so to speak. So when it comes to trying things over and over, we do want to do that. And I think helping kids taste new foods, one, make sure you're eating them. Two, we don't need to remind them that the last time they tried it, they didn't like it. Because every time in terms of taste buds, every time is brand new. I love that. That's great. And so we can just say like, mommy loves it. Maybe you'll love it too. Try it. Yeah. You know, do you want to try it with, you know, ranch dressing? Do you want to try it with cheese? Do you want to try it, you know, 
all these different ways. And I think that's a big piece of being willing to experiment. That's great. And then when we're at the table with them, do we say, you know, what is the texture like? What do you, what do you think about the flavors? You know, kind of like foster that like little foodie approach. Yeah. Like I think there's definitely something and that really starts, um, what we call like mindful eating, right? Paying attention to eating when we're eating. So, and especially with kids who are learning their senses, right? Okay, how many how many senses can we use with this food? Can we use all five senses, right? What is that like? Right. And so starting to sort of have some of those conversations can be really cool. And we know like with infants, touching the food with their hand is really important for their development. And yes, we want our kids to use utensils, <laughs> right? right? But there's also something to be said of like, well, how does it feel in your hand versus what does it feel like when it's in your mouth? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, or if I don't like something, well, is it the texture you don't like? Because we could try cooking it a different way. Yeah, I think that I'm not a nutritionist, right? But I think that one of the biggest myths about feeding kids, and I see it on boards all the time, moms, parents talking about, I tried to offer this new food or we tried this a few times, but he just doesn't like it. And then that's it. That's it's over. They've Mm -hmm. abandoned that idea. And I think that if we just persisted, like you're saying over a hundred times to like the food or maybe not like the food, but give it time, right? Do you find that with your clients? A thousand percent. And that's what I mean when I say we often don't give them enough credit. Because a lot of times kids will ultimately want to eat what you're eating. And if we give them the space, especially, you know, at a certain age, when we give them the space to come to it on their own, it makes it a whole lot easier and happier for everybody. So there, I had one client, this was years ago. She, her kids were like young teens, like maybe like 12 and 14 or something like that. And she, they were young enough to be you know, still at home and like not driving, but old enough to stay home while she went to go do something. So she came back and they were eating her carrots and celery and hummus. And by the way, she was like, my kids are never going to eat this. Like I'm going to have to make separate food for them. And she came home and they were eating her stuff. And on the one hand, she was like, this is amazing. Like, yeah. look at that. And on the other hand, she was like, now I have to go to the grocery store because they ate all my snacks. Yeah. But like, <laughs> But I think sometimes, like, if we just give them a little bit more credit, they'll come around to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It fosters creativity in in, in them as well. If, if you're eating something different, they want in on it for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I think the other important thing to realize is when it comes to our taste buds, like I was saying before, like each time they taste it, it's new because our taste buds change. Well, the other thing is, so sweet, salt, and fat are acquired tastes which means not only do we learn that they taste good, but it means that the more we have them, the more we want them. And the more we have them, the more that we need to have for something to register as sweet or salty. So thinking about it in terms of adults, right? We, we know those people who put maybe like one packet of sweetener in their coffee and then over time they're up to like three or four because it stops tasting sweet right? Because our taste buds adjust. Mm -hmm. So good news is they can also adjust backwards, right? Right. But thinking about it, the more 
kids are eating fruit snacks, the less sweet a tomato is going to taste. Right. Or something super salty. And then yeah. they have something that's a real whole food and then it just tastes bland to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So emotional eating is obviously something that all of us, I think, uh, well, not all of us, but a lot of us <laughs> dealt with during the pandemic. We're I, human, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it was a big struggle for me for sure. And, um, you know, for our kids, I think just boredom and stress during the pandemic, they definitely turned to food. And so as we, you know, schools open up, most schools are opening up, things are returning back to normal. How can we talk to our kids about this and help them get through it without making them feel bad about it? Yeah, I think this is so incredibly important. And I think it actually starts way before the emotional situation right? It starts with how do we position food in our home, right? Is food reward? Is food comfort? Is food filling all of these things for ourselves? Are we showing that to our kids too, right? So if on occasion, of course, right? But if every time, you know, something happens that's great, we're rewarding them with you know, this food treat or they're upset and we want them to feel better. So we entice them with some sort of food treat. We're creating that connection Mm -hmm. beyond our holidays and culture and all the things, right? Yeah. So one of the things is to say, you know, how do we handle our emotions ourselves? And what does that look like for them? So one of the things is even to say like, well, are you upset? You know, and like helping them talk about it. Uh-huh. And it, it also, right, all of this needs to be age appropriate, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but recognizing and helping them understand, like, I totally get that you're upset. And, you know, the animal crackers aren't actually going to help us feel better. So we can still have animal crackers, but like, can we talk about it too? <laughs> right. While you eat them? You know, like, it's not no to the snack or no to the treat either, but it's about helping us recognize, like, are we trying to put it a key that doesn't fit in the wrong keyhole? Yeah, I love that. That's great. And so even just helping them recognize some of those things and saying, you know, or even if it's not so much emotional eating, right? Emotional eating is out of like, well, what's going on and why are we upset and what would help you feel better? And then rewards and helping us feel better might be spending time together or spending time alone, mm-hmm. you know, and helping right. them sort of cope in that way. And then the other side of all of this too is even cravings, uh-huh. right? And recognizing, again, age appropriate, <laughs> but like, are we craving this? Are we actually thirsty? Are we actually, is it because we didn't eat enough protein and now we're craving sugar because we're crashing? Because that's how the body works, right? If it needs fuel, it's going to tell us we need fuel fast, which means that we crave sugar and high glycemic carbohydrates and food so that we can get fuel to our brain very quickly. Yeah. So like at a certain point, right, especially with teenagers, having them understand how the body works is really helpful. Right. Yeah. You know, but at, you know, six, (laughs) they don't need to recognize that like, you know, well, your brain is craving this because, right, that's not 
But what we can say is almost like what we said before. Yes, we can have the, um, you know, the fruit snacks. You know, what about having a couple almonds too? Mm-hmm. Right. And how do, you, how do you assess your kid's hunger? How do you know if they're truly hungry? Because I often find my kids will, you know, and right now they're in camp and then they'll go to the babysitter's house. They'll have a decent snack, right? Protein, mm-hmm. fiber. They come home at five o'clock. I'm starving. Right. <laughs> and I'll say, no way, you know, go drink some water. But then I feel like that's not good either to, if they are hungry and I'm telling them, no, you're not hungry, then they're not really in touch with their hunger and satiety cues. Right. So, and it's hard, right? Depending on age. But one of the things is, and this works for us too, what sounds good? Uh Uh-huh. Cool. You're hungry. Awesome. What sounds good to you? If the only things that sound good are chips, cookies, ice cream, cake, fruit snacks, right? Things that are not actually nutrition. We're likely not really hungry unless we're at the point of like super low blood sugar and we need fuel fast. But in those moments, the healthful food will also sound good. I love that, Jen. That's great. So it's a lot of times thinking about like, well, you know, it doesn't have to be like turkey and cheese. It doesn't have to be, (laughs) you know, like bell peppers and tomatoes. But if real food does not sound appealing at all, odds are we're not really hungry. Have some water, go play. We're going to eat dinner soon. Or, you know, you know, have some carrots if you really want something. Right. Yeah. You know, and by the way, odds are if they're picking something out of the fridge, they're probably not going to go too far astray. That's right. How do we handle different eating situations, right? Because everything, once your kids are out of your house, it's like you've lost all control. And there's school, there's the friends' houses, play dates, sports is a big one, parties, grandparents' house. How do we deal with mm-hmm. all of that? So this is another one where some of it is just age, right? So when they're super little, some of it is, you know, giving those guidelines to our parents to say, Here's what I want them to eat. And they're inevitably, right? Like grandparents want to give them the treats and the sugar and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so much we're going to be able to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. And as we get older, as our kids get older, they'll start to recognize that like, well, the foods they have at their house, like we don't have, like we don't eat this stuff. And that's okay. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so it's also, especially you know, with a lot of the kids that I work with, they're having a challenge, you know, with weight management or their health. And so we talk about like, we're not always in control, right? So we make the best choices we can. Mm -hmm. In any given moment, all we can do is all we can do. And all we can do is enough. So we look at what the options are and we say, here's what I can do. You know, If we're at school and the only option is a vending machine, our best option might be the popcorn rather than the, you know, cliff bar that says it's a protein bar, but it's really a candy bar. Right. You know, or they're at a friend's house and they eat what it is, you know, whatever it is and whatever that friend's mom is making. And when we come home, we're back to what we always do. So it's never all or nothing. It doesn't mean we don't eat what 
we're at somebody else's home. We do the best we can in any given moment with the options that are available. And we continue to come back to our routine and what we do in our home. Okay, that's great. So we talked a little bit about this before, but if there is a parent in the home who's trying to eat healthier or lose weight, how should they talk about their food preferences and habits around their kids? So, you know, a lot of parents are following keto or paleo or gluten-free <laughs> or they don't eat dairy or whatever the case is. How do we approach that with our kids? So difficult. Yeah. So I think in the case of gluten-free, at the risk of opening a can of worms, the only time I recommend gluten-free is if somebody really does have an allergy or sensitivity. Okay. Um, inherently gluten-free foods are not necessarily healthier options just by way of being gluten-free. Right. Um, so in that case, it's again, it's coming back to a health thing. Mom is allergic. Right? right. Kids understand allergies, right? <laughs> they don't have peanuts in school anymore because so many kids have peanut allergies or whatever it is. So they can understand those things, you know? I generally don't recommend like the keto situations, but if somebody is choosing that, right, it's again saying, well, this is what, you know, this is what I'm eating. This is what makes me feel good. Um, you know, we want it still all the same language. It happens to be that, you know, it's creating that situation for you. But I do think that we want to model the behavior of eating all the food categories and all the plants and, you know, right. and showing them that we choose foods based on how we want to feel after those that give us energy and sustained energy. Right. You know, and yeah. like, if there are allergies, we call them allergies. So if you have a kid who is overweight or you're just concerned because there's a family history or you, you see maybe your kid mm -hmm. is going through puberty and you see them gaining weight, which is completely natural and normal, um, or you're just concerned about how much they eat at dinner time, how do you handle it? Yeah. And this is tricky because we also don't want to create an issue if there isn't one, <laughs> right? So I think sometimes enlisting the help of the professional to say, is this age appropriate? At what point do I need to be concerned, right? Those are some great questions um, to maybe ask, you know, people who are specialists in that area for that age group. Right. Um, I think we don't want to single them out. We don't want to tell them they can't have something because they're fat or because they're gaining weight. You know, it's just, these are the options at, at dinner. Like we have a salad every night or maybe dinner doesn't need to include rice and pasta every single day, mm -hmm. you know? And then I think the other thing is encouraging activity. And one of the things with kids that's really important to recognize is that activity does not have to look like what we think of as exercise. So they can go play outside with friends it counts. They can go jump on the trampoline. It counts. They can go rollerblading. It counts. They can, whatever is activity. Yeah. And maybe that starts to look like things that we do as a family too. Right. 
you know, and think about how we can add more movement into our days rather than saying, oh, you have to go on the treadmill. You have to go, you know, work out. Right. And then when we're, you know, having that activity, the way we talk about it with our kids is about their perceived level of exertion. Uh huh. Right. So how out of breath are you? Can you say your name? You know, and sort of that scale of like one to 10, what was our level of exertion? Yeah, that's great. So we talked about food rewards before. And I think, you know, even though we know it's not the right thing to do, we still continue to do it. And, and also, I think as a society, we, we do it, yeah. right? You hear about parents when they're potty training, they give their kids an M&M. Or, um, you know, I, I know when I, pre-COVID, our kids would go for their well visits and they'd always get a pretzel from the pediatrician. I always <laughs> found that so ridiculous. So what do you say that food rewards can have a place and if not, you know, are there non-food rewards that we should focus on? I think it's both. Okay. Because I think you're hard-pressed to live in this world and not experience food rewards, right? I think it's also important to have those indulgences when they're not rewards so that it's not the only time we ever eat these things is when we, in air quotes, deserve them. Right. You know, again, it's sort of both sides of every coin. And then also having moments with non-food related rewards. So that could be they get to spend an afternoon with either parent, just them. They get to pick the movie. They get to, um, you know, choose the activity that everybody is doing. Or even they get to pick the restaurant that we go to. Yeah, that's great. Right. So it's sort of they get to feel special. They get these rewards. They get the recognition. But it's not inherently tied to these very indulgent, potentially counterproductive choices. Like if the only food reward is always ice cream or cookies or whatever, then, you know, it sort of exacerbates something. Right. And then I think it's also not making a bigger deal of it than it needs to be. You know, like dessert sometimes can be, you know, some natural peanut butter and strawberries. Right. What about taking treats away for bad behavior? I mean, it sounds so like from our generation, right. um, but, you know, I, I have found myself doing that and it rubs me the wrong way. But I but for poor behavior, I, I find myself doing it and thinking that it will improve the behavior, but I'm not really sure that it works. So you think yeah. that's really <laughs> detrimental? <laughs> it's so funny because I think it ends up falling into the same category as the food reward. Like the food consequence is the same, like food as punishment. So the healthy dessert is punishment. Yeah, right. Like that's sort of the same situation, the opposite side of the coin that we also don't want to create. But like, we're all human and we're all just doing the best we can. So like, I totally get it if it happens. Like, I think maybe the consequences being more specific to what the behavior was. Right. Yep. Might be better. I mean, one of the things when we talk about willpower and teaching willpower to kids, it's a lot about making sure that feedback is, you know, targeted and timely and appropriate, right? Like all of those kinds of pieces. And so I think this falls into that category a little bit of, 
Is it fitting for what was going on? Is that something that's important to them? You know, how can we make it meaningful? And, you know, like maybe the timeout does just as well. I don't know. And yeah. again, I think it's everybody, you know, your kid. Yeah. Well, Jen, I, I know you're not a parent, but you're really on target here. You are. You've got it all like squared away. You must be taking tips from your nephew. Right. <laughs> so last week on the podcast, I was talking to Dr. Susan Albers. She's a clinical psychologist at the Cleveland Clinic, and she's mm -hmm. a mindfulness expert. She's an author of nine books. And we were talking about the clean plate mentality. And oh. I think, right, our generation grew up on that. And she was saying how many of the clients that she sees, they want to get away from that and they seek her help with that because they don't want to repeat the same pattern. Mm -hmm. But do you find that your clients fall into that trap or are they too want to stay away from telling their kids you have to finish everything on your plate or you have to take another bite or whatever the case is? Yeah, it's so funny. It's like, these things that were told to us, we then find ourselves repeating and we're like, where did that even come from? Like, <laughs> you know, but I think the objective was coming from a good place of wanting us to eat quality food and not be hungry again in 20 minutes. Right. But I yeah. think we have better questions than we could ask. Rather than like, for example, there was one time I said to my nephew, he was like, I'm done. I'm, you know, going back to watch TV. And I'm like, are you really done or do you just, do you just want to go watch TV? I think giving kids appropriate portions can be helpful, right? Like going back to the size of their hands for those portions, um, you know, and making sure that what we're giving them is quality food. And similarly, right? Like if you're done until dessert, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you could also say to them, like, on a scale of zero to six, like, how hungry are you? Oh, that's great. On a yeah. scale of zero to six, how full are you? What does that feel like? You know, and I do that with adults. You uh -huh. know, we, it's hunger and satiety levels and learning. I think one of the biggest things that we see all the time and that what happened to us as a result of the Clean Plate Club is we learn to not pay attention to our own hunger and satiety signals. Right. And so one of the challenges is to not teach our kids out of that. Right. Yeah. So right. part of it is saying like, you know, again, it goes back to those same questions of like, well, what are you hungry for? What sounds good? Or how hungry are you? How full are you? I love that. All open-ended questions. That's awesome. So- when parents, when kids are with um, other family members, so they're outside mm -hmm. of the home or caregivers, and maybe that particular person does talk about being on a diet or not eating certain foods, how can we as parents control some of those unhealthy conversations and habits? Yeah. So I think, you know, controlling them is hard. I think it's more about how we respond to them and then having a conversation about it. Again, it, it depends age appropriate, of course. Right. But so, oh, you saw grandma only eating, you know, whatever, like, and she said, it's because she, you know, is trying to lose weight. Well, what does that mean to you? What do you know? You know, like mm -hmm. asking them what that means in their head and talking to them in a way that makes sense for them. And to say, you know, maybe it's like, well, 
you know, grandma's doctor wants her to be super healthy so that she can be around when you have kids. Yeah, that's part of being super healthy is eating foods that give our body nutrients. So grandma's focusing on eating all those nutrients so that she can be around when you have kids. Yeah, that's great. So Jen, this is kind of a fun question that I've been asking uh, the people that I interview this, this season, but who do you think we should interview on food issues? Oh, this is a good one. Um, so this has come up recently. I um, am making a referral to this person. Uh, so she runs an eating disorder clinic here in New York City. Uh, her name is Melanie Rogers. And her daughter is also, well, she might be like seven by now, but her daughter was like five or six when we met. Um, I interviewed her on my show. I think her experience is fascinating. How she approaches these conversations is really interesting. And I asked her a lot about what she does with her kid and how they handle situations. Uh, so I think that would be interesting for food issues too. That's great. And Jen, where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah. So I'm, Salad with a side of fries podcast, a salad with a side of fries.com that has, you know, more about my coaching and other things too. And social media everywhere is at Jen Trepic, J E N N T R E P E C K. And I would say, like, please, please send me a message. I love nothing more than to hear from you. Like, what resonated? What was new? What was, you know, repeat? Because that's also interesting to me. Um, you know, just please reach out. Let me know any questions you have too. I'm always available. Oh, that's wonderful, Jen. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Julie, always. I love that episode, especially when Jen talked about fridge first and all the different ways to offer vegetables. If you love food issues, make sure you go subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're already subscribed, please take a second, go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating so we can reach more people. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 